We're going to share this together. You do not have to be a member of Christ Church to share the Lord's Supper. This is his table. It's not ours. So as the worship team leads us, I'm going to share with you in Scripture. And I want you just to take your elements, have them ready, the little wafer and then the juice. I want you to hold them. I'm going to share in Scripture in a minute. I want you to take this time. You need to turn oh, these Paul, things on. They play. I want you to man, that kind of time comes in handy. thinking about the blood of Jesus Christ. I thought I had it thinking on. Thinking about the body of Jesus Christ. So, I plan on finishing early today, if at all possible. Will. We're having our congrega- annual congregational meeting is today. So, you can leave here and go straight to the Bartlett campus, and they will have food. You can eat. We're hoping to start the meeting around 1 o'clock, but I'm thinking it's probably going to be closer to 1.30. But... Um, if you can be there, I think it's great for us as the body of Christ and the two campuses to come together and kind of give an annual picture of where we are, where we have been. And 2020 has been crazy. On You pick any level you want to pick. It's been a, a crazy year. But uh, we're going to talk about that today. Rhett will share his annual State of the Union message uh, financially. He does a great job in, in uh, helping us see where, where we are. Uh, others will be sharing. I know uh, Rihanna and and Lynn will be sharing with children's ministry and, and uh, Cameron with the student ministry. Uh, it's only going to last seven or eight hours. It ain't bad. So uh, we shouldn't be there very long, about an hour maybe. But um, if you can do that, if not, we will have it on uh, Facebook and you can go home and eat and sit at home and watch it. But it's great for us to come together and, and uh, spend that time together if you can. So leave here and go straight to Bartlett. They will have food for you. Also, for those of you that are watching at home or wherever you might be, at the lake or uh, uh, wherever, we're going to have communion at the end of uh, our time together today so you can prepare. If you didn't, those of you that are in the building, if you didn't get communion, uh, Jim's got some in the back. You can go back and pick it up sometime. Uh, just don't get up during the sermon. I'll give my sermon so. We're going to do that at the end of our time together today. We're going to share communion uh, together uh, for the Lord's Supper. And the last thing I want to say as we prepare to get into Ephesians 2 again is I want to thank Rhett for, for filling in last week. He did a great job. I was uh, ashamed he didn't skate off the stage. So I will probably do that today in, in lieu of him not doing it. I'll do it. But the problem is Rhett could skate off the stage and get up and, and move on. Were I to skate off the stage, it'd be... What are we going to help? I've fallen and I can't get up. Uh, I'm in the park. I need help. Uh, that kind of thing. So hopefully I will not step off the stage into the abyss. But uh, I, I genuinely appreciate you being here last week, brother. And you really did a, a, job, a great job. And, uh, uh, and, and even people came back. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm astounded that, that uh, we, have, we have tremendous elders. And for him to be able to step in on a relatively short notice... Um, most of you know, I will share it, so I know many of you have asked, and my wife has been incredibly ill for a week and a half, still is, but she had some gastrointestinal issues and some stomach emptying things, and we think we uh, hard to find a uh, treatment, and what I want to say to you guys is, is thank you for your prayers, um, 
texts and the emails and phone calls with a card sitting on my desk. Someone mailed here to the camp, put into my address and mailed it here and and sitting near my desk that I take to when I leave here today and and uh, she was just unbelievable pain when I took her to the hospital and but one of the things I've discovered people was sharing during our worship time is the presence of God. Uh, I pray a lot anyway, but it's been a lot more time praying specifically for physical things and then watching God in his timing answer those prayers is beautiful and thank you for you guys praying for Mary and please don't quit. Uh, also Paul over the writes of the church still, at Corinth. Uh, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the so, Lord uh, Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed he took we'll, bread. We'll see what the Lord's going to do. Turn thanks, to Ephesians chapter 2 if you have not already. This is my body and which is broken again, for today, you. Do this. I want us to focus on, me. as we look at the attributes of who our God is, who our daddy is, we focus on, in Ephesians chapter 2, that our God is a God of grace in the mercy. same manner. We talk about this a lot took the cup in the church. Supper, saying, this cup uh, is those who believe scripture in scripture and particularly evangelicals, we talk about you drink it God is a God of grace. C.S. Lewis, uh, as you historically, and and drink a tremendous author and, and, and the defender of the faith, apologetics. Uh, I've shared this story with you before, but it's apropos for this moment. He walked into this room and all these theologians sitting around discussing what sets Christianity apart from everything else. Again, and he Father, we in thank the room you for the After they were through Virginia Fleckley to C.S. Lewis, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. What sets Christianity apart from all these other religions? The perfect and he said, oh, it's simple, grace. And he kept walking. In his body that and we need to understand that it is the essence of all we believe as Christians. We thank you for grace. What makes Christianity unique Mercy. is that our Great Savior Father, was God in the flesh. And that God, because he is God, a God of grace world, and mercy, provided us a plan where we could be right with God. We call it salvation. We call it being born again. We call it being justified. We call it being redeemed. Whatever term you want to use, and all of them are used in Scripture, when you come to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you enter into a relationship with God, you become his child, you are experiencing grace. But you don't stop experiencing grace. You're experiencing mercy and grace for the rest of your life because God, our Father, gives us this gift of eternal life that we do not deserve. We have not earned. We cannot earn. We can't buy it. We can't be good enough. We, don't, we, uh, we, we can't say to God, look, I'll do this. You know, I'll trade you this. I'll buy this. I'll donate this. I'll give all this. I'll sell all my goods and give everything away to the poor. Doesn't matter what you do. You're not earning. You're not, you're not going to be righteous in your own self-efforts, and you're never, never going to be worthy of God declaring you righteous. It happened because, as we look at the attributes of our Father and understanding this, it happened because our God is a God of grace and mercy. So if you look at point one on your handout, we're not going to go back and exegete point one, but I want us to read these verses together to set up where we are in point two. So if you'll turn to Ephesians 2 and look at verse 1. And you... He's writing to believers. The book of Ephesus is about the church. And you, God, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In which trespasses and sins you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's who you were, past tense, 
among whom also we all once, past tense, conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, key phrase, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. This is who we were, past tense. Now, look at verse 4. You've heard me say many times over the last 14 years since the Lord brought us here, 14 plus years, 14 years since the Lord brought us here to this campus, and you've heard me standing behind this podium for 14 years, and I've told you my favorite word in the Bible is, but, what's the first word in verse 4? If your translation doesn't say but, get another translation. It's but God. I love that. Especially when you understand the context. And anytime you see this word in Scripture, particularly the New Testament, but all of Scripture, but particularly in the writings of Paul, he's about to give you a contrast that's very, very significant. Verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy because, those two phrases, but God and because, of his great love with which he loved us, God did something. Now let's talk about that. When it says, but God, it's point two in your handout. You're seeing the compassion of God. That we were dead in trespasses and sins. That's who we were. By nature, we were lost. That's the term we use. We were dead. We had, we were spirit, because of Adam's sin, death entered the planet. Physical death and spiritual death. We were separated from God because we were born by nature as sinners. Why do we commit sins? Because we are sinners. We're not separated from God because we commit sins. We commit sins because we are by nature separated from God. We are sinners. That's how we are born. Because if I'm born as a dog, Scripture even tells us if I'm born as a dog, what am I going to do throughout my life? I'm going to do dog things. I am a sinner. I'm born in sin. Therefore, I commit sins. But it's not the sins that I commit that separate me from God. It's the fact I am a sinner. And that has to be dealt with. I can stop drinking. Not necessarily a sin. We'll deal with that on another day. I can stop drinking. I can stop smoking. and I can stop running around with women that do. That's not going to make me right with God. Why? Because I'm still a sinner. I'm going to commit sins because that's who I am. I might, in my, my sins might be egregious and out front where everybody can see them. Or they might just be internal and only I know, God and I know about them. But they're still sins, aren't they? Jesus said if you thought about it, you're guilty. And if you commit one, you're guilty of all. The point being, in hyperbole, Jesus wanted them to understand in the Sermon on the Mount. You're never going to be good enough, none of you, because they thought, the Pharisees thought they were. He wanted to make sure they left that day, when they heard that message, that they left realizing, according to him, I cannot be right with God, except through forgiveness of my sins. I've got to deal with the problem that I am a sinner. That's what this is about and why it's so significant that we understand it. 
when, as Christians, because we're left on planet Earth. We exist. We're in the church age right now. We'll be till Jesus comes back. And we are here on the planet for one reason. It's to fulfill the Great Commission, to go into the world, share who Jesus Christ is, see people born again, and make disciples of Christ. Train people up to be Christ followers. The first step in them entering into that relationship is they've got to deal with the sin problem. And by get a new nature. By nature, I'm a child of wrath. Verses 1, 2, and 3. I'm dead in trespasses and sins. When I'm born again, but God, what we're going to start looking at today, I get a new nature. I become a child of God. Phrases like this are used in the New Testament. I'm adopted into the family of God. We become brothers and sisters. You may not like it, but I'm your brother. Not just a crazy old coot who happens to be standing up here. I'm your brother in Christ. People, total strangers that you don't know, if they're born again, they're part of your family. That's why those relational terms are used in Scripture. When, when Jesus was teaching us how to pray, how, do, how does he teach the disciples to pray? Hey, big guy in the sky, I need to talk to you. Is that what he said? Hey, oh God who created the universe. Nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. How did he teach them to pray? Every one of you knows the answer to this. Our Father. Our Father. Why? Because it's a relational, intimate term. And he wanted them to understand being righteous with God is not being religious like the Pharisees. Jesus even said, I don't want you to be like the Pharisees. Their religion is hypocrisy. I want you to have an intimate relationship with the Father. You're his child. Yes, you have imperfections. Yes, you commit sins. But let's deal with the nature Enter into a new nature, a child of God. That's why grace and mercy is so important. And why is that? You're sitting here, some of you are thinking, okay, we understand God is a God of grace and mercy. Great. But I promise you, the vast majority of people that you know, even some that are in church, but the vast majority of people that you know don't understand the significance of grace and mercy, in their mind, somewhere they're thinking, I have to do, fill in the blank, to be right with God. We've said this many times, simple example, and then we're going to move on. You walk up to a total stranger and ask him, if you died and you're going to heaven, are you going to heaven, what are they going to say? I hope so. I hope so. Why? I hope I hadn't been too bad. I hope I've been good enough. And by the way, most people in church, that's what they're thinking. The answer is, I'm going to heaven, yes. Why? Because I'm in Christ. I'm born again. Pick, pick your phrase. You said earlier, I'm converted. I'm a Christ follower. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. Not because I've turned over a new leaf. That's not going to do it. Turn over a new leaf, sooner or later, that's going to be an old leaf too. Not because I'm doing better. No, because sooner or later you'll do bad again. It's because I have entered into a relationship with God where he's adopted me into his family. I'm his child. I've experienced grace. I've experienced mercy. 
What's grace? Very simply, God giving you something you don't deserve. We've talked about that. We're going to see in a moment what that really means. And mercy. God gave me a beautiful picture of this this week, and I'll share it with you in a moment. And mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. Because of Adam's sin, what do all of us deserve as sinners? Death or separation from God. That's where we are. But God in his mercy, instead of sending us all to eternal damnation, provided redemption in Jesus Christ. So we don't have to experience that. We could be saved from that wrath to come in Christ. That's what grace and mercy. And when you understand grace and mercy, again, I experienced it this week in a very graphic way in dealing with all it, the last week and a half dealing with all that Mary is going through. You look at people differently. I'm talking about total strangers. You care about them because you know they need, desperately need to experience grace like you have. Like somebody gave you a million dollars. Would you be excited about that? Probably so. Think you'd tell somebody? you tell everybody about the IRS. <laughs> Rhett didn't hear that. You would tell. Everybody, you'd be so excited. Do you realize you've been given a gift that is more valuable than anything anybody will ever possess, touch, or handle on planet Earth? It's grace. Someone is saying it's so true. There are only two things you can touch in this life, experience in this life, that you could see again and experience again after you die. One is grace through the word of God. Two are other people. What should you be sharing with other people? I'm not saying you have to go up to everybody you, you run into, tap them on the shoulder and say, have you experienced grace? You might get in trouble. You might get injured. But I'm saying in the, in the process of having conversations with people, think about them. Be interested in them. What's going on in their life? Where are they? And look for and pray for opportunities to share with them the grace that you've experienced and the mercy. Back to verse 4. So God's compassion for us. He takes us from being dead in Christ, or dead in sins, to being alive in Christ. That little phrase, but God, there's the contrast. It's a sharp contrast in Greek, by the way. It's not just thrown in there. It's, it's like 180 degrees kind of thing. But God, we can rejoice. We can relax. We can praise. We can be excited because we've gone from being dead to being alive. Someone has called it, quote, the light of hope in a sea of despair. But you're out there and you have no hope. You don't know where you're going to go and suddenly you see a lighthouse. You've got a direction. You've got a purpose. You've got a place. You've got all of those because you've experienced grace. God's, these verses we're about to look at, verse 4 particularly, is God's provision. He takes, he provides us salvation from death and sin from the consequence of sin, why? Because he loves us. God is a God of grace and mercy. And he, by so showing us that, he's manifesting to us all his attributes, all that we've been talking about and others to come. Look at verse 4 again. But God who's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. First picture I want you to see is merciful love. This is who God is. He is, look at verse 4, rich 
in mercy. God who is rich in mercy, and in the next word, because of his great love with which he loved us. This is so important. The motivation for God to express his grace and mercy to us, the motivation to provide salvation is that God loved us. He loved us, for God so loved the world that he gave. Please note, God's motivation for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross that we might be redeemed, to show us grace, to show us mercy, to provide atonement for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden after they sinned, covering, the Hebrew word means atonement. God's motivation for providing atonement pictured in the Garden of Eden all the way to the cross, that covering, it's not, God was not prompted by our, our potential, not prompted by our innate character, not prompted by our worthiness. What prompted it? Verse 4, because he's rich in mercy and he loved us. Merciful love. Romans chapter 5 says this, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. When we were helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's compassion for us. The word mercy. The idea is this. Grace is given to us. I want to talk about mercy here for a moment. But grace is expressed is given to us God's riches at Christ's expense because we're guilty. We talked about it already. We're sinners. We need somebody to pay our debt. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He paid our debt in full. That's grace. But please hang with me for just a moment because God has pointed this out to me so graphically this week. I want to make sure you see it. The idea of mercy. Mercy is God looking at us. Grace is for our guilt. We're going to get to that. But mercy, I'm going to do my rent and skate off the stage. Mercy, for the rest of my life, I'm going to, rest of the time that the Lord allows me to stand, I'm going to be worried about skating off this stage. I might as well do it and get it over with. You know what? Mercy is God looks at us and he hurts because we're in such misery. I'm going to give you two pictures of this. One, we can all understand if you've had children because you've been there. Remember the first time, maybe it didn't happen with your second child or your third child. It's kind of like bringing your kids to the nursery. Your first child, you're not sure you're going to put them in the nursery. You know, you wait six months, a year. Okay, I guess we can go ahead and let, we can trust Rianne and those people. We can put them in the nursery. That second child is kind of like, yeah, they're all right. By the time your third one comes along, the door's open. No! Please take Andy, and if you don't want to keep him a couple of weeks, I'm cool with that. Remember the very first time when you were a young parent, and, and we've all been there. Man, I want to admit it because we're too cool. When you're a young parent and you take your first child to their first day of school, maybe they're getting on the bus, or maybe you take them to school. Regardless, remember that feeling? Like, I can't leave. I can't leave little Martha here. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll just go in there and sit in the back. They won't even know I'm there. 
Remember that feeling? Is I going to be all right? That's the way, that's what this picture is of God looks at us and he thinks he cares so much. I want to share this with you and I hope my wife's okay with it because God reminded me so graphically this week of his mercy. Wednesday, it would be two weeks, this coming Wednesday, and she was in incredible pain at 7 o'clock in the morning. I took her to the emergency room. Her pain was so bad. But because of this pandemic, when you get to the door of the hospital in the emergency room, who's allowed beyond the door? Only Mary. She's bent over double in pain, agony. She can't think. She can't articulate. She ain't going to be able to fill out insurance forms. But they will not let me pass the door. So about, I have to let her go in by herself. I'm here to the back door. She just stands there. She turns and she's looking at me, crying. That's mercy. Is that all I want to do is what? I don't care about the armed guards. I want to go hug my wife. I want to help my wife. So I'll tell you this. I hope you understand. So this week we had to go over there for a test. And I said, all right, Mary, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to lie. But I want you to hold on to my arm like you are feeble and can't walk. Now she was kind of feeble, but I want you to hold on to my arm. When they start talking, I want you to just look with a blank stare. Don't say a word. Don't say a word. Just look with a blank stare. So we get in and... And uh, I walk up, it's like 7, no, 6 o'clock in the morning, 6.30. First one's there. Well, not, anyway, early, early morning. So I walk up to the counter, and the lady says, who, I said, the patient's Mary Lockley. And she looks at the two of us standing there, Mary's just holding on to my arm, staring off into space. She didn't say a word. She says, can Miss Mary speak for herself? And I said, no, she cannot. <laughs> now, if I was wrong, Lord, forgive me. I said, no, she cannot. And she said, all right, let me have your hand. I'll take your temperature. You can stay with her. So for the five hours she was there Friday morning having her test, where was I? Right there so she could lean on me. And she she needed me. Misery is you look at somebody you love. Mercy is you look at them. Excuse me. Mercy is you look at somebody you love. You see them in misery, and you do what? You want to do something about it. That's what's going on right here. God, who's rich in mercy, he looks at us, and he sees how miserable we are, and he says what? I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to lie and get past it. No. He said, I'm going to do something about that because I love Randy. And I love Lauren, and I love Darren, and I love Kelly. I love the human race. They are lost, dead in trespasses and sins. They're miserable, and I'm rich in mercy. I'm going to do something about it. And what he did was he came down and he died on the cross in our stead, for God loved us so much. Rich in mercy, that's the picture. Another picture would, I think, helps, especially as a young parent. I remember this because I was so young when Martha was born, and 
thank God Mary knew what she was doing because I sure didn't. Remember when your child, especially all of your children, but that first one, first time he or she's really sick and you don't know what to do? Because we always called my mother-in-law and she knew what to do. But maybe, maybe, maybe they're aching or they're feverish and or uh, like our son Andy had repeated ear infections. No matter what they would do, he would just get another one and another one and another one. And, and you see your little child, especially as an infant, hurting and crying and feverish and you want to what? Fix it or you just want, want, you know, you want to take it on you. Lord, give me the fever. Give me the pain. Take it off my baby. Please. And you can't fix it. Like Mary, I'm looking there. I want to fix it. I can't. But I do know the God who cares. And can, I can pray to. That's who we need. That's the God we need to share with people. Not who they think he is. We've experienced who he is. Because we've experienced grace and mercy. We live in a world that's cursed by sin. Everybody is a sinner. We have the antidote for that. We have the medicine that will fix it. It's called the person of Jesus Christ and grace and mercy. Our number one need as human beings is just like the thief on the cross. Just a simple statement. He finally realized he was a sinner. He's, he's dying on the cross. He's being crucified and Jesus is right next to him. And he finally realizes this, this guy next to me, this Jesus of Nazareth is the solution to my problem because he had been mocking Jesus earlier like the other thief and he turns to Jesus and says what? Simple, simple. It's, a, it's the need that every human being has. He turned to Jesus and said, be merciful on me or will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Our need is be merciful to me, O Lord, a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Not, Lord, look at me, I deserve. But, Lord, please be merciful on me. I'm a sinner. I still remember the day the guy that shared the gospel with me in 1970, and I understood that for the first time. This is what it means that Jesus came and died on the cross. This is what it means. I've been in church my whole life. At age 16, it clicked. But this is what it means. This is what I need. He cares about me. It's not just going to church and being a good boy. He loves Randy. He died for Randy. Man, we have something tremendous to share with people. That's why I want to make sure you understand grace and mercy. So what are the results of mercy? You get forgiveness of sin. You get freedom from the penalty of sin. Jesus took that for you. There are no limits, there are no strings to God's love. He loves you eternally. There are no strings attached. He loves you even though you may not reciprocate. That's called agape love. He loves you unconditionally because you exist. By the way, that's the gospel. That's what you're sharing with people. God doesn't expect you to do something and then he'll give you eternal life. God loves you. He's already done the work. He just simply wants you to come to him by faith. And accept his free gift. It's available to everybody. And it's guaranteed by the nature of God. Who he is. Now look at verse 5. Look at his invitation. This is grace. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses. Back to verse 1. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Even when you were dead. 
It's an eternal plan. God did something about our sin problem. We've already talked about that. We were hopeless. God gave us hope. We were dead. And God gave us life. He acted. If you go back to the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12 and following, it says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He was saved by faith. And then God gave him the great covenant through which everything in the Bible and history comes. And you know what? If you read the Abrahamic covenant closely, there's one verb that jumps out. And it's the verb will. God says, I will, I will, I will. Abraham did what? Not one thing. Abraham was asleep when the covenant was cut. God said, I will, and then God went between the pieces of flesh to cut covenant. God did the work. Abraham was the beneficiary, just like you and I are. And that's why Jesus said in John 8, 58 to the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. I'm the one who cut the covenant with Abraham. I'm the one who set all this up. Abraham looked for, Jesus said, Abraham looked forward to my day. And then Paul in Galatians says, God preached the gospel to Abraham. Abraham preached it to Isaac. Isaac preached it to Jacob. Jacob preached it to the 12 patriarchs. On and on and on and on to where we are today. It is, history is the story of Jesus Christ. It is his story. And it's simply the picture, the manifestation of grace and mercy in God's love for us. So verse 5, you see a salvation. We were dead. What did God do? First, he made us alive together with Christ. We're saved by grace. Maybe the best picture of this, and again, nothing about, about our works. Maybe the best picture of this in the Bible is, is the story in John 11 of Lazarus. You know the whole story. And Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus. And Mary and Martha, his sisters, he stayed in their home in Bethany. And they come and Lazarus is dead. Jesus intentionally waited three or four days because the Jews believed the spirit hung around the body for three days. So he waited. And he shows up. What's the first thing that, I remember it's Mary or Martha. I think it was Mary. Anyway, comes running out, which everyone said to him, what? You know, if you'd have been here, both of them said it. But the first said, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And one of them said, by now he stinks. Because he was a corpse. In those days, when someone died, they, they put him in the tomb within 24 hours. Why? Because they stunk. You ever been around a corpse? Not a pretty thing. Dead. Don't miss the, the, the spiritual picture. Jesus said, I'm going to handle this problem. That's the way he said it. It's not exactly quoted for us in Scripture, but that's what he said. I got it. I'll handle this. I, will, I love the picture. He simply turns to the cemetery where all those bodies are, and he says, Lazarus, come here. If he just said, come here, everybody in the cemetery could have come to him if he wanted it that way. He said, Lazarus, come here. And man, when, he, when Lazarus came walking up to him, what do you think the crowd thought? Read it. Read John 11. It's powerful. There's the picture. You're dead in trespasses and sins. Your family has no hope. 
And Jesus steps into the scene and says, come here. I'll raise you in a new life. Read Romans 6. I'll raise you in a new life. You're set free. You now have hope, purpose, and a future. I'll give it to you. What did Lazarus do? He was dead. Corpse. And he got up and walked out of that tomb. And Jesus said, interesting words. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who lives and believes in me, though he may die, yet he will live. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's the question every human being that's ever walked planet Earth will have to answer. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? If you believe in him, death is not an issue for you. If you reject him, you will be eternally separated from God. That's what death is. Grace and mercy will set you free from ever thinking about it, ever having to be concerned about it. I remember back in January, January 2nd, this is my granddaughter's birthday. January 2nd, my brother-in-law died. And many of you know Coach Hines. and We were at the hospital of Mary's brother, and he's a well-known figure in our city. Very successful coach, baseball and football. And he was a dear friend of mine, not just my brother-in-law, a dear friend. And I remember going into the room. He'd been dead maybe five minutes. And I've seen dead bodies over the years many times. Standing there looking at somebody that, you, that you're that close to. And I've seen my parents and others. But this was a guy who was healthy. And I'd talked to just a few days before. We were joking about going to play golf. And now you're looking there and it's just blank. It's blank. There's nothing there. Because Jim's Coach Hines not there anymore. Because he experienced grace and mercy. He's gone home. He's with his mom and his dad and his brother and his sister. And the truth is, if you understand scripture, we're all there together because there is no time in heaven. Wrap your mind around that one. Grace sets people free from the one thing everybody's terrified of and they won't admit it. The one thing everybody's terrified of is death because they just don't know what's on the other side. And if you're born again, if you're in Christ and you've experienced grace and mercy, you don't, it's not even a concern for you. Don't you think people would like to know that? That's why we're here. That gracious salvation. And then last, I want you to look at verse 6, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Verse 6. He raised us up together, and he made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We see the merciful love and the gracious salvation, and then he gives us a resurrection home. I love this. He raised us up together. It's a transformed position that only Christians can experience. For just a second, I want you to flip over to chapter 3 and look at verse 7. 3, 7. of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, Paul talking about himself, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, that's us, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, that even the angels can see it, 
according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. I want you to understand the special position that we hold in the sea of humanity as the church of Jesus Christ. That he wants us to boldly proclaim to people grace and mercy because it will set them free from all the bondage that sin carries with it. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we thank you for grace and for mercy. We thank you for the person of Jesus Christ that he came. Why? Because he loved us. He came, showed us grace, showed us mercy, and we've been set free. And Lord, here even in a moment as we get ready to share the Lord's Supper together, that we would think about that. That as the children of God, we've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. That his body was sacrificed that we might be saved. We're grateful But I pray, Lord, we would not only be grateful, we would be excited. Like you tell us in your word, that we would go into all the world and proclaim the death of Jesus Christ until he comes. Because his death, the most significant event in history, his death, burial, and resurrection. That because of that, people can be free from death, from sin, from the terror of both. Pain, they could be set free. And we have that antidote that we would share it grace and mercy and Lord we pray in Jesus name amen I want you to take your elements your little package 